It is a time for children this morning. So kids, I want to invite you to come up this morning. Big kids too. We got good stuff today. I know you're tired from rummage sale, but so just get up and stretch. Good morning. And some of us tired not from rummage sale. It's just early. Good morning. Hi, Lily. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Celeste. Hi. I'm glad y'all are here in worship this morning. Hey, Preston. So today I was thinking about things that we think are important, things that um, you and I think are valuable. And it made me think of a Christmas. I was trying to think if it was his first or second. I think it was Bennett's first Christmas. So, you know, he was sitting up and moving around and stuff, but, you know, not like totally walking and stuff yet. And, of course, you know the story. Your family probably has one about you. We're all opening presents, and it's the first Christmas, so I I have no idea. See, I can't even remember what Bennett got his first Christmas. I do remember that I got um, a really cool, like, pot for the kitchen to cook in. Now, check with your mom before you give her that for Christmas. She might not want dishes for Christmas. So, you know, makes her think of work. But I was actually really excited to get this pot. It was a really cool pot. And it, this isn't the box that it came in, um, but I got a box. Actually, ironically, I had another box I was planning to use, and I think somebody else saw it and thought it was trash and threw it away. So I had to scrounge for another box. But guess what Bennett played with all day? The box. The box that we had that day was just big enough that he could crawl over to it and sit inside of it. And he was very proud of himself that he had done this. And the walls on the side were just high enough that it could kind of balance him. So like the rest of the day, we played train or car or whatever, you fire truck, and we pushed him on the carpet, like slid him around the house, and he thought it was amazing. I have no idea what presents we gave him that year. But I remember that box. Something that we would just normally toss. Something that probably in a couple of weeks, you know what, we actually kept that box for a while until it finally, like, it tore and you couldn't push them in around it anymore. And we finally recycled it, threw it away. So then I got to thinking about what God treasures and what God sees. Maybe in things that we don't always see. And I think it's a message of hope for us today. So I brought some things in my box today to help us think about that a little bit. And one of them that I brought, oh, we use the image of a shepherd a lot and sheep. Have you all heard in Sunday school and in church about sheep? Tell me what you know about real sheep. Anything? What do you know about real sheep? Yep. They make noise. They stink. Mm-hmm. They do. They eat. They eat grass. They eat grass. They're like we walk on. Have you, uh, I was going to say, have you tasted grass? I don't really want to know. But yeah, they're. Um, I from what I understand, they're not really known for being really bright animals like of all we talk about you know dolphins being smart and chimpanzees being smart people don't usually talk about sheep being smart and yet in that story that jesus tells what kind of animal does that shepherd go looking for a sheep 
a common little sheep. But God sees it as something greater. Hmm. I brought my little globe. Sometimes we can look at our world and go, oh my gosh. <laughs> we could look at any given country on this globe. We did, some of you that have been confirmation, we put band-aids on the globe sometimes and we pray for the places that are broken. And we can look at the world and go, oh my. But this is, this is our earth. This is our symbol for God the creator, that God created order out of chaos, that God created something beautiful and a treasure out of the darkness and the chaos. And God sees this and goes, ah, my creation, my treasure. All right, y'all are a little older, so this one might be a little corny, but it's true. I don't mean it as corny as all. Wanna pass it down? Yeah. You know that, right? <laughs> they know that. And I know the people of this church have told you that. I hope they've told you that so many times that you'll never ever forget it. That God looks at you, you can pass it down. And says, Ah, oh, my treasure. You know, we have those days when we get up and look in the mirror and go, oh, really? What? But when God looks at you, ah, treasure, treasure. But God would do anything and go anywhere to find and love and carry back home and rejoice. So I give thanks for you this morning. As we say, dear God. Thank you for the hope and the love and the promise you have given to us. We love you, Lord. Amen? Amen. You are a blessing. We're continuing our series on the parables today and the challenges that they offer us. And so we are in the 13th chapter of Matthew, which is a chapter that is full of parables. And we're going to hear two of them in two short verses. Verses 44 and 45. Listen for the word of God. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen.
I know I've mentioned a particular British comedy to you before. Um, one of my all-time favorite shows, I think it's on my top three list of all-time favorite TV shows, um, Good Neighbors, uh, British comedy. Um, I started watching it when I was in my early 20s, and it actually had a profound effect on my personhood, actually. Um, helped me redefine some values um, in myself. Helped me actually reappropriate my faith in new ways. And so there is a clip we're going to watch um, from this series. Now, remember, this is vintage eh, 1975, 1976 British comedy. So you're going to get just all that 70s British stuff. Um, the clip that I was able to find on YouTube this week is not the best clip, but it is the only one I could find of this particular scene. And so there'll be a couple of frames where their chins are cut off. And I apologize for that. Um, but it's the dialogue um, that is so important. Uh, so Tom... Tom and Barbara Good live next door to Jerry and Margot Ledbetter, and Tom and Jerry work for the same company, JJM. And they started work there together, um, both as draftsmen, but Jerry climbed the ladder and um, is up on the executive floor of the JJM building, and Tom is still a draftsman with all of these young men who are coming in, um, and what they work on, what they design, are plastic toys that go into cereal boxes. That's JJM's business. And so the first episode, it is Tom's 40th birthday, and he is in a bit of a crisis. He wants to figure out what it is, because he has this emptiness. And so he does a little bit of work and a little bit of discernment, and he comes up with an answer to it. And so I want us to take a look at what his answer is in the discussion that he has with Jerry. Morning, Jerry. What a lovely day. What a very lovely night. <laughs> Sorry about that. However, I'm still big enough to offer you a lift. That is, unless you've got the car going again. Haven't got a car to get going. Swapped it for that first thing this morning. Look, it's 20 to 9. It is first thing this morning. Not for us, sons of the soil. Market gardener he was. Turned him up at half past seven. Swap was done by eight. Well, you're going to look very silly driving up Kingsway on that. <laughs> driving up Kingsway made it no longer a part of my life. Oh, my God. Sir, sacked you for laughing. Other way round. I sat, sir. Oh, what are you going to do? Got five minutes. Yes? I'll tell you. (laughs) 
You sure you won't have that brandy? You're mad. You realize that, don't you? You're, you're looking for a superlative. Totally insane. Yes. Rubbish. Tom, Mom said the goat will be here by noon. Lovely. <laughs> the goat. Sheer <laughs> folly. It just won't work. You're, you're totally insane. Jerry, we've never been saner in all our lives. Now, if you excuse me, I've got 300 weight of spuds to put in. So the, the dialogue is pretty rapid fire, but Tom sacks, sir. In other words, he fires his boss. And he and Barbara decide to go off the grid and grow their own food and stay where they are in the suburbs. How many of you would be willing to take a rototiller and dig up your front yard and plant vegetables? Oh, right. We got some countercultural folks here, yeah. Um, but the issue for Tom, the issue for Tom is this emptiness within that the values that his job at JJM represents are not, not values that he wants to have. Designing the latest plastic toy, whether it be a hippopotamus or a giraffe and things of that nature. And so he and Barbara set out and they plan a new life that is more connected to the earth, more connected to the rhythms of day and night and the seasons to answer this emptiness within I think about the crowds that were flocking to Jesus to hear him tell parables and to talk about the kingdom of God and what their lives must have been like as they gathered around him. I wonder if they had emptiness that they were seeking to fill. Many of them certainly had burdens that were very, very difficult, anxieties. Many of them worked the land as tenant farmers with absentee landlords. All of them experienced the oppression of being under Roman hegemony. And into this kind of Atmosphere comes this wandering rabbi who's talking about the kingdom of God and the way he describes it is very different from Rome. And in these little parables, he talks about treasure and he talks about an astounding pearl. And Jesus is really good at 
taking what seems to be of no value and making it into something that is just astounding. So consider, consider the actor in the first little parable. The man who is apparently digging around in somebody else's field. And he finds treasure. And so then he hides the treasure and then he goes and he sells all that he has so he can buy that one field. We're talking about a thief here. And then in the second parable, there's a merchant. And merchants were looked askance at a little bit. They were kind of the um, first century equivalent of a used car salesman. Right? I mean, their values were mm, not really trusted. You know, they're trying to make a deal and that kind of thing. And this merchant... You know, who buys and sells and buys and sells and buys and sells. Well, he comes across a pearl unlike nothing he has ever seen. And he goes and sells everything he has so he can buy it. To use Jerry's superlative (laughs) that he levels at Tom, that's totally insane. Who in their right mind would sell everything they have for one pearl or for a found treasure box? And I think that what Jesus is getting at here is that God's values are not the values of Rome. God's values are different from human values. Think about human values. Think about ambition. Think about getting ahead. Think about how we prepare ourselves for the future. Think about our stuff. Think about our hierarchies. And what Jesus does in these two little brief parables is he takes those and he turns them inside out and upside down. And then think about the divine values that are represented in that treasure box or in that pearl. If we could look within, what would we find? And we would find what Jesus spends so much time trying to talk about. Blessing. Compassion. Mercy. Our neighbor that we don't choose ourselves, but that God puts before us. Grace. Infinite love. My friends, how do we even begin to quantify those things? They are not quantifiable. They are not 
the values that the world or the system values. One commentator put it this way. He's the president of Phillips Seminary, which is right up the road in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and this is what he says. What if a society resembles the empire of Rome much more closely than it does the kingdom of God, expressing in its policies and budget the values of social inequality and redemptive violence? Helping persons to adjust to or be balanced to fit into a sick society is not the work of the gospel. The church's work in every age, more so in some ages and places than others, is to form disciples who value the contemporary faith equivalents of thieves and merchants. In light of this week's news, what is our response as disciples? What are the values we draw on to live as people of God in a culture that looks more and more like Rome? Who do we follow? Who calls us forth to act with compassion and mercy and grace and love? Because, my friends, we have been given love, compassion, mercy beyond measure. That marks us as disciples of Jesus Christ. Let us go forth and live out of that grace and compassion. Amen.